Hi, Mary. Right. So here we are. There we are. It's the summer. The heat is absolutely on and we're pretty much at the end of our season here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we spoke last week, didn't we, about how warm it was and it's just got warmer. So that's dominating news at the moment. Obviously, we've got the Tory race for a, for a new leader as well happening as we speak. To be honest, though, I watched the news this morning for about half an hour and they didn't get off the weather. So it's amazing how little we cope <laughs> in a country that gets warm summers these days. Yeah. It is super hot though, isn't it? Well, we're recording this Monday morning, so you'll we'll be listening to this Wednesday, but on the other side of it. So we'll see how we'll see how things have panned out when we get to that. Any updates on summer plans, Mary? Stuff you're looking forward to? Things happening, going on? So I the weekend just gone, I had my penultimate wedding of the wedding season 2022. I've got one more in about a month's time. And we've sort of used weddings to take us to different bits of the UK this summer. The only downside being that the UK is not that great at dealing with the heat. So being abroad in 30 degree heat is potentially more more relaxing. But how about you, Dan? What have you been up to so far this summer? Yeah, it's been fine. We've obviously been a little bit of playing outside with Leo in the paddling pool, splashing around, that sort of stuff, which is which is quite nice. I actually did a Spartan race at the weekend on the Sunday up in Market Harbour, which was one of my New Year's resolutions at the start of the year. So I've been kind of looking forward to that, managing to get myself in semi-decent sort of fitness running wise and was quite chuffed to do that. Yeah, so and did it. you have to go for a heat adjusted target time then? No, I was quite lucky. I had an early start on the Sunday. So I started at 8.30 a.m. I was out on course for about an hour 10. And so I finished at 9.40. It was pretty hot by the end. I mean, you definitely were suffering a bit, but there were people starting all throughout the day. So that would have been really tough for those waves going later. But I was generally lucky because it was just early and it wasn't the full heat of the day. That was good fun. It was a solid test. I was really, really glad we, we got up there and did it. Yeah, so that was that And was is, is this the first of many? Was it? A, I can't remember the specifics of the New Year's resolution. Is it do one in the year or you're ramping up to more? It was just one, actually. Yeah, that, that was the one. But it's funny that Spartan have really reduced their program this year. So there was only really three in the whole of the UK. And this was the third of those three. And there were less generally, I think, in Europe. Interesting point, actually, that there were lots of Europeans at the one at the weekend. So on the start line, it was quite cool. It was all like Italian, Spanish, French, like all around you. It was a real kind of European buzz. It was quite amazing. But I think that there's lots of hardcore Spartan people out there and they were just so keen for everyone that was going on that people are really doing a lot of travel to get to them. It was kind of cool. I think the standard was way higher than when I did it a few years ago, just because of that. You had all the all the best people from around Europe there. Interesting. And it's a nice it's a nice thing to make you travel to certain places, isn't it? If you use it yeah, as a reason yeah, to, go, yeah. to go somewhere. So. Yeah, and it was a decent showcase of the UK. Actually, it was a beautiful venue in the countryside around Market Harbour, just these lovely fields that you were running around, an occasional little high point where you could yes, have really nice views. So yeah, it was, it was a nice little showcase for the UK countryside. Excellent. Well, well done. Thanks. So should we get on with the episode? Let's do it. Let's wrap this Let's up. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it. <laughs> Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. Right. So what we thought we might do, I guess, in terms of this wrap up, I suppose it's in a, in a few different parts, a bit of a different format to normal. But I guess we could go back and sort of 
look at the timeline of the season, cast our minds way back, trying to remind ourselves some of the themes, doing that earlier, a few interesting things crop up. Then we can maybe share some thoughts on some of the mega themes that came up, discuss our individual top episodes, some of the ones that were most commented on, and then spend a little bit of time on the most underappreciated things, which I think is an interesting little one. So that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. And it is amazing when you sort of cast your mind back. I'd sort of forgotten that we didn't stop since September. So it's, it feels like an awful long time ago, doesn't it, that we started this this season. We started with an episode with our CEO, Aaron Punwani. We called it Back to School Buzz. And it really did feel like that, didn't it, at the time? Because it, it did, was back yeah. to school, it was back to offices, it was hybrid working. What's that going to be like? It, yeah, we really felt that buzz. Yeah, I mean, that just itself feels like a different world, doesn't it? Just that period of time. I mean, you look back and it was, yeah, it was 42 weeks ago. It was, yeah, it was sort of September last year, but it feels like that's already just a long time ago now. We are, you know, we're now back, we're in the new normal and that just feels like normal, but it wasn't that long ago we were debating all that. How do you think things have settled on the sort of hybrid working practices, by the way, and that sort of stuff? We had all these big thoughts in that episode, didn't we, around how it's going to work out, how it could be good, how it could be used and where do you think we are? If I'm honest, I think we're all still muddling through. I feel like there's so much else, and we'll obviously come to other episodes, so much else has hit us in that time. I don't think that we've had the headspace to work out the right the right combination. I mean, my own thoughts, I think fully in-person meetings and fully virtual meetings work very, very well. I think we knew that back in September as well. Hybrid meetings, I think there's probably still quite a lot we can learn from. Does the chair make themselves virtual if other people are virtual to make sure that the the, the people on screen get a voice probably that is I think emerging experience that that works quite well the choice though of using a virtual meeting or using an in-person meeting or defaulting to a hybrid if you know we're still seeing obviously rises in cases of COVID at times I think probably the tactics around choosing what form of meeting you have people haven't really sort of got to the stage of being tactical about it yeah no, yeah, I agree with that. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't think that makes sense. I think muddling along is probably about right. But also you're right to point out that it was sort of, you know, we should yearn for those simple days when the biggest thing we worried about was hybrid meetings and stuff. You know, a lot of really serious, serious stuff has hit us, has hit the world and everyone this year. And yeah, the, the worries about hybrid working actually kind of push way down the things. I know that's sort of a lesson, isn't it? The things you think are like the really big deal at the time can easily get overtaken by the things. But one observation that I would make, I guess, more recently Certainly at LCP, it feels like there's been a bit of a recognition that the office kind of, it kind of needs to be social. And I see, what I've liked is seen a bit more organizing of team lunches, a bit more pinning of like, this is our team day, you know, team breakfast in the office. And that's been nice, I think, because I, I think that's the key realization is that it's it's a social thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And seeing the office as a destination, not just a place of work, apart from this week when it's really hot and people are coming in for the aircon. Yeah, exactly. But I suppose so So moving from something that we thought might be a, a bigger deal than it, it was to something that we perhaps didn't appreciate quite what a big deal it would be. Also in September, we, we had our first of a couple episodes actually this season on the British power market with colleagues from our energy team. And I think, I mean, we could never have known at that point how effectively how well-timed that episode was or how, how much of a challenge that would become in the months afterwards. Yeah, I know, right? Because in that episode, that was in September with with our colleague Rajiv, we were, yeah, we were saying, look, there's this crazy stuff going on in the price of natural gas and, you know, prices might go up, the, the price cap might have to rise, the cost of energy might go up. And of course, that was only, sadly, that was only the very, very start of of that sort of trend. And that, and that in some ways has been the big story of 
well, the last year really, hasn't it? But yeah, it's it, maybe one of several lessons that you, you see the start of a trend and you think that's the big move, but these things can just go so much further than you think. Yeah, and obviously being propelled on by things like the events in, in Eastern Europe. We spoke to another colleague, Gerpal, in in March of this year, by which point, of course, we had started to see real challenges in that market and real challenges in that part of the world. And that episode with Gerpal was a bit more focused on batteries, but still obviously touched on the, the events that were happening at the time. And I think that that might be one of the first times we've ended up with two episodes on a very similar theme in one season. And of course, that just reflects the fact that stuff was happening so quickly. Yeah, that's right. And also maybe sort of energy is maybe we should be identifying that as one of these sort of bigger mega themes, which is just something that's there in the background as a huge thing. And then, and then has these sort of big flare ups at these kind of flashpoints where where events come together to kind of make it sort of, sort of in the headlines. But yeah, I mean, it was, the episode with Rajiv was great because that was the first time that I was really understanding some of these elements of the UK market, you know, things like the price cap, the day ahead auctions, the way the national grid operates. It's quite nuanced and a little bit arcane, I think, to non-specialists. But of course, that's just been thrust into the limelight the last six, nine months for all the, all the wrong reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, then energy market trends are really very intertwined with climate change and, and the transition and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I completely agree with you, Dan, in terms of that being a, a mega trend to watch out for and, and see these flare ups. I think we we should expect more of this in the next decade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On a slightly lighter note, we dealt with the extremely highbrow topic of when it's first socially acceptable to have mince pies in one episode. I don't know if you remember that. We had a very erudite and deep, <laughs> deeply meaningful discussion about that where you put forward your rule for that. So do you want to remind people? That was quite a useful rule. Well, I just I just think you've got to take things in sequence. So you can't have Christmas before Halloween has been done and dusted. I don't know. Reflecting on it, I don't know if it's it's got something else, something also to do with the fact there's quite a lot of October birthdays in my family. So I think probably all of those people are like, well, it can't be Christmas before my birthday. So I've probably been pushed and pushed. And then by that point, it's it's almost Halloween. So that's a good solid two months of, of mince pie eating, which I think is probably... Yeah, no, I, I love that rule. I'm going to adopt that as my new as my new mince pie rule. And I think the, the occasion we were talking about, I, I'd been offered mince pies in September and people were looking at me for thinking that was strange was the kind of, but I'm going to going to double down on that being unacceptable and, and refer them back to your, your rule on that. So there we go, that's all sorted. <laughs> Excellent. I guess thinking of another sort of key theme that came out in lots of episodes this season, we talked a lot about communicating, sometimes because we'd had a guest on specifically to talk about communicating, but also the importance of sort of underlying individuals. So possibly came out the most explicitly in our in our chat, the Great British Investment Chat, and that was a survey of individuals in Britain about their activities and attitudes towards investment. But I think it's come up in at least once a month, hasn't it, in terms of the importance of the underlying investor, what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they understand, what they don't understand, and the sort of look through of investments in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think communication and the media absolutely shines through the whole series as a bit of a mega theme, actually. And I kind of think, I still think that's a bit underappreciated in, in our industry. You know, I think we've got to recognize that we're all kind of in the media business in some way or another. We're all trying to communicate to to people, to individuals in a very congested media landscape where everyone has got too many comms coming at them from far too many channels. And you need to really focus and make your messages kind of, you know, clear, memorable, impactful, kind of all that stuff and say things that people, you know, can 
sort of digest in sensible ways without talking down to them too much. And, and it came through in so many of the podcasts this year, this series, that our industry is just at the very start of a journey of trying to do that properly. And there's so many kind of clunky, there's so much clunkiness around the way we can even talk about, you know, members, individuals, people kind of thing. And there's a lot of yeah, I think that we get just get so much wrong and continue to get so much wrong, but it's an area where hopefully we can see some some more focus and improvement. Yeah, and I think particularly in an environment where really individuals are crying out to understand more about what they're investing in, whether that's because you know we've talked about the kind of through the COVID crisis, the accidental saver. I think that was in the the previous season, but you know individuals having perhaps at that point and, and not so much now, more disposable income, start to think more as an investor and and want to understand, but also the kind of impact element of this as well in terms of wanting to know what their money's doing and make explicit decisions about whether they're using their money to do good as opposed to only looking at returns. So I think both of those angles, I think, have come up again and again through this season, haven't they? Yeah, and obviously it's very different to the nuts and bolts of investing and risk-adjusted returns, expected returns, risk premium, volatility, value at risk, which is kind of you know, the bread and butter, let's be honest, of a lot of what we do. But if anything, sometimes too much emphasis, I suppose, can be placed on that, right? And not enough on that bit of how you're actually communicating it to the end. And then I suppose part of that is the industry has just become this kind of investment chain of so many different kind of providers and firms that are doing these very discrete little kind of atomized roles and loses touch a little bit with the end point there, which is which is always a shame. But we did do some episodes on more sort of, I guess, traditional investment things, didn't we? Investment themes. So we talked about, I suppose, at the time, value had had a really, really bad run, about a decade of of underperformance versus growth. When was that episode? Late last year, October? Oh, October 21 with Rob Arnott, do you That's mean? That's the one, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. October 2021. Again, looking back, it's quite, you might say quite prescient in a way because that, that was almost sort of the bottom for value, if you like, and value's really strongly bounced back. He was talking about bubbles and how to define bubbles because that was kind of the big discussion of the time. I don't see quite so many people talking about bubbles now, <laughs> certainly in the, in the way that they were then. But it's pretty interesting. Do you think that Rob Arnott is the sort of most famous guest that we've spoken to, by the way? I've always wondered this. Oh, it's really tricky because I feel like sometimes you say a name, you know, you say internally to a colleague, oh, we've got so-and-so on the podcast. And sometimes they say, no idea, never heard of them. And sometimes someone you thought was quite obscure, they they say, oh, wow, that's, a, you know, potentially. He's definitely among those. I think we're both quite pleased, aren't we, with the number of guests we've managed to secure for this season that have had quite sort of big profiles and be quite well known for whatever the specialist area is that they've got in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he probably was. I mean, maybe when you say the founder of Research Affiliates or, or Rafi, that people are more familiar with that than they are with his personal brand, perhaps. But it was funny, we did, it was, this happened a few times during the series. I, I'd listened to a lot of podcasts that he'd been on, and we effectively did ask him more or less the same questions that everyone asked, and he gave more or less the same answers, which is still very good, because that could have been the first time our listeners were hearing it. But, you know, good on them for still being able to keep the energy and respond to it as if it's the first time he's ever been asked it. I thought that, that was actually quite a skill, because because I don't know how good I'd be doing it, like the sixth time I'd be asked this basically the same question. And they're always very polite about it, aren't they, as well? They always say, no, yeah. you've got a really good list of questions there. It's like, well, yeah, because we've heard you say these things before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excellent. So in summary, we called the bottom for value. We called the bottom for value and the top for the growth bubble, I think, in October 21. And then coming on to November and December 2021, there are a couple of other, what in hindsight seem like pretty good 
calls when you look at back at our, our track record here. So maybe a bit of a theme developing. Potentially, yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on us for next season. Yes. Yeah, so we, we had an episode in November. The name of it was Dawn of a New Interest Rate Cycle, which, of course, we've we've then started to really experience potentially the early moments of this year. And then a month, a month later in December, we had a new inflation era with our colleague John Canfield saying that inflation was very much not looking like a transitory theme by that point. And I think we'd quoted some numbers for, for RPI and, and CPI at the time, which were much higher than the observed market levels at that point, but we still undershot a little bit, I think, didn't we? So I think we'd seen CPI reach, was it 4, 4% maybe in October, November? We were saying it's definitely going above five. Obviously, we see it now at more like sort of, what is it, nine, just over 9% with another announcement coming quite soon. RPI even higher, maybe 8%. Obviously, that's shot up as well. So we were calling significant and dramatic increases in inflation, and we've seen even more significant and dramatic increases in, in inflation. And it was Karen Ward we spoke to about the interest rate cycle. And I think, yeah, Certainly some of the things she was saying in terms of the way that monetary policy is is adjusted to deal with the the themes we were seeing even in, in November, which of course just got exacerbated by further events happening. So yeah, very well-timed episodes, those two. Yeah, it was it's exactly. It was well-timed. But like you say, you, it's almost sort of looks silly when we look back and the commentary around the inflation was CPI could get as high as 5% next year sort of thing. It was like, oh my goodness, like that would be that would be crazy if that happened. And obviously now we're here and that's just that's just been totally blown out of the water. So I remember thinking at the time with that inflation thing that we were actually a little bit behind the curve in, the, in that it was kind of clear by that point that the whole transitory narrative that we had earlier last year was out the window. But again, yet another lesson that things can go. And obviously other, other events have cropped up that we couldn't possibly have foreseen at that point. But, you know, just a real lesson that things can go a lot, a lot further and it's an uncertain environment. I do remember one thing that Karen Ward said on interest rates. She was saying at the time that the next hiking cycle could be a lot more like the 2000, 2001 cycle than the, and I don't think that's quite been borne out in the end just because this cycle has actually been very fast and come through very quickly but yeah i guess a lot of that was just responding to events that just weren't weren't on the radar in at the back end of last year you know the inflation russian invasion of ukraine all, all those kind of things that have happened that just weren't on the on the radar back then so it's yeah maybe just another lesson that it is just very hard to predict these these macro things that long-term investors maybe shouldn't be trying to second guess the Fed or all those kind of decisions yeah. too much. And, and just one thing on the on the inflation, I'm pretty sure the Bank of England was still very firmly saying it was transitory at that point. And John John's comment was, well, of course they would say that because their job is to control inflation. I think that's that's certainly something we've seen borne out in in this year so far as well, where we've seen inflation spiking and spiking, and the Bank of England consistently saying, well, having to more recently admit that it's obviously very high and might stay high for a couple of years, but their guidance has always been slightly behind as well. So we were sort of reacting to that at the time. Yeah, that is a good point. That's kind of yeah, maybe another good lesson is you kind of have to try and look through look through that guidance a little bit. It's a little bit, arguably a little bit self-serving, maybe a little bit backward looking. But yeah, well, I suppose also maybe a lesson that the central bankers, that they're not necessarily some kind of all-knowing, all-seeing kind of prescient beings. They're kind of humans looking at looking at limited data like any of us. I don't know, there was that, that quote from Jerome Powell recently, wasn't there, saying we're just about, we're just about starting to understand what we don't understand about inflation or something like that. We're just about starting to understand how little we understand about inflation. And, you know, that's true of us. That's true of portfolio managers. It's true of central bankers. It's just just life, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So then we did a wrap-up of 2021, which I guess bridged season two and season three. Three people that defined the year. Do you remember yours, Dan? 
Yeah, three people that define 2021. These are quite funny, actually, when you look back at them. There were three that I had and three that you had. So I had Kathy Wood, Albert Baller, and Vlad Tenev, who's the founder of Robinhood. And they are definitely 2021 people, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> whereas they, they haven't all fared so well in, in 2022. Obviously, particularly Kathy Wood and Vlad Tenev have not had such a great 2022. But yours kind of actually sort of kept going on a bit of a roll, you might say. Well, they're still quite relevant names, I suppose. So I had uh, Greta Thunberg, who, I mean, I think everyone knows knows her name. I think she, she turned up at Glastonbury, is that right? Surprise appearance at Glastonbury. That's the latest sort of public visit that I, I'm aware she's made. So still going as strong as ever. Elon Musk, of course, in the news for quite different reasons at the moment in terms of the, the purchase or not of Twitter. And Boris Johnson, who I said, love him or hate him, it's hard to get away from the fact that he defined our year from a personal perspective in, in 2021. Obviously, he's remained in the news for various various reasons and perhaps will be less in the news in the months to come or after a couple of months at least. So. Yeah, but certainly you'd have to argue that he's been defining the first half of 2022 as well. And Elon, Elon Musk as well, probably. So two out of your three, at least, have continued to define this year as well. We did have a little bit of a, spend a little bit of time on 2022 forecast, didn't we, at the start of the year? I mean, it's always sort of, I always do that almost half lightheartedly, I guess, just to show how pointless it can sort of be. But, you know, actually, when I went back and looked, they weren't that far wrong in some ways. And maybe you might just say that's because it was kind of obvious. How obvious was inflation? I, I guess that's the big thing. So a lot of the forecasts were saying inflation is going to be an issue. The Fed's going to be hiking rates. Geopolitical risks are lurking there. The employment labor dynamics are going to shift in favor of the worker. And those all happened. But maybe, maybe those were happening at the time and it was just a statement of what was obvious. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure I expected the interaction of inflation and geopolitical risks to be quite as strong. So that probably wasn't that explicit, I don't think, in in the forecasts. And I also think probably when we sat at the start of January, we didn't necessarily expect geopolitical risks is on the it's on the list most years, isn't it? But I think this is the first year in yeah, recent exactly, history exactly. that it's become such a huge issue for global market market dynamics. Of course, there's geopolitical risks that happen across the world all the time and do sort of are borne out but not always in the way that affects global markets in the same way. That's another reason to be wary of forecasts, right? People always, you know, stick on geopolitical risk as like the eighth risk on their forecast. And it's not really been a thing nine years out of 10. And then the 10th year, Russia invades Ukraine and there's a there's a war that's causing real problems. And then, so, you know, it's kind of one time out of 10, it's right, but it's on the list every year, isn't it? So is that a helpful forecast or, or not? I'm not really, not really sure about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Power of stories. Is that the next place to go? I think that, that episode probably both hit us pretty strongly. So Stacey Havener joined us. Was that late January this year? Something like that, yeah. to place it, but it was such a high energy episode. I think we both ended ended the episode feeling pretty kind of pumped and, and raring to go. And what she said was just very impactful in terms of the, the power of stories and the way to build, effectively the way to use stories to build relationships and make yourself more successful at winning business, make yourself more successful at working in a team, all of those sorts of angles. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, and if there was one episode to point people back to, if you haven't listened to, I think it would definitely be that one. Definitely by far the one we've got the most fan mail about. People come up to me all the time and, and sort of mention that. I think it made a big impression on a lot of people. Definitely made a big impression on me. It's made me think a lot about how how I communicate and put ideas forward and those sort of things. And Stacey's a great follow on LinkedIn as well. She kind of is constantly putting out good examples of, of how you can do that just more generally. You know, everything can be can be put into a little story. And in terms of making things memorable and connecting with people, I think never been sort of more important. And you can be, you can be quite thoughtful about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So I guess grouping in another couple of themes of guests that we had on the on the show this season. So we had, so we did do, was it just one book review we did, but we actually had a few authors on for sort of various wider, wider topics. So Robin Wigglesworth and the book Trillions, that was a book review. We had Joe Wiggins and we had Alison Schrager, which was her return, return visit to the podcast she'd been on in, in March 2020 as well. And then we also had a series of academics, actually much more recently, all three of these, weren't they? So Ludovic Falipu, Alex Edmonds and, and Michael Moberson. Also three very good episodes that probably worth checking out again from, a, from an academically interesting perspective and going fairly deep dive into their sort of specific areas of focus. Yeah, and actually, I think all three of them are authors as well, to be honest. So we probably had, I think there's at least six different authors. But and what I love about talking to, to authors on a podcast is you can sort of explore the thinking behind the book a little bit more. So that question of around why this, why now, why is it different, what's it added is kind of just as, I think, important as saying, well, what did you actually write about? But often the what did you write about is kind of well known by then. But you can kind of explore the thinking behind it a little bit. Really enjoyed talking to Robin and his thinking behind why write a book about passive investing and how it was actually kind of surprisingly really quite an interesting story and quite a wild ride all the way back from the 1970s, I think, when it was starting off in, in those little teams in the US, in Wells Fargo and and what have you, and how that lineage can be traced all the way through to BGI, BlackRock and iShares and all that sort of stuff. That was that was pretty good. And then, yeah, Joan Allison as well, really good. And then, yeah, I think I really enjoy talking to academics. I think I don't know. I would say one trend I've seen over my career a bit is the academics working around investing have come a little bit closer to the mainstream. So the work is a lot more relevant maybe than what I maybe used to think. Maybe that's just my perspective has changed. But I would love to see the industry make more use of some of the output of academics You know, in a world where so much of the investing industry is fund managers trying to sell products being able to use academic work that's kind of real frameworks that are that are a bit more independent, I think is really useful. So really glad we're able to talk to yeah. them. Yeah. And I suppose I mean maybe by the fact that they are the sorts of academics that come onto podcasts, you end up getting these sorts of academics anyway. But all three of them clearly had a big focus in, you know, it's all very well me doing my work in a silo, but actually the important thing is bringing this more to the masses. I think it came across particularly strongly with Alex Edmonds, where he's obviously effectively got not quite an outreach program, but he's clearly very much focused on people running businesses. This is where I need to get my messages to because that's where my theory will actually have the most impact. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to see that, isn't it? Because I suppose, obviously, academics, that you can get that traditional kind of, there's so many cliche, ivory tower, such a cliche, isn't it? But th there is that mindset but that is obviously changing a little bit because so many academics are, are trying to influence industry and have that as really part of their their key objectives. So I think so much good work to tap into there, which I think the industry could do more actually to kind of just take it and use it and put it into practice. Because a lot of it is so practical that it doesn't take much work to take some of that and, and actually put it put it into practice. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Right. There were some mega themes cropping up as, as it, we both spent early some time earlier this morning going through all the episodes we did, all the 42 of them. And I reckon there is probably four or five kind of mega themes that accidentally, I guess, cropped up, sort of bottom up through the series, which I think is really interesting. So the four of them, as I see it, are impact, inclusion, communications and media, and stories and narratives, which are four things that we came back to again and again, which are probably a little bit, that are a little bit outside the traditional investment kind of chit chat around rates, inflation, real assets, risk return, bloody blah, blah. They're a bit, a little bit different to that. But that's why it made me thought worth just dwelling on that for a second. Yeah, that's kind of what I like about all of them, to be honest, is that they sit above those traditional investment topics and actually are so, so overreaching that if you don't understand these, I think you probably 
have a bit of kind of work to do just in terms of the right way or a good way to be thinking about investing over time. So, I mean, impact, we touched on a little bit earlier. So the importance of people understanding what their money is doing. So we've had a couple of episodes that were really quite focused on the sort of the underlying individual and what they want their money to be doing and whether it's doing what they want it to be doing. And of course, that links a lot to the communications piece that that we touched on already, really. Inclusion, we've had a few specific episodes, actually. So it's come up in in most conversations. We've had a few specific episodes. So Zoe Birdo, I think, might have been her third appearance on on the podcast. We spoke to Jess Clark on International Women's Day or, or the week of International Women's Day. We had Mamawa on microaggressions. And last year, who's been on before, but this time it was to do with diversity and inclusion for asset managers. So, I mean, I think incredible. We've had four very focused episodes. But yeah, those those themes have really woven through almost every episode, haven't they? Yeah, they have a bit. And it was quite nice that it sort of culminated with the asset manager statistics one, because that was a really nice way of bringing a lot of that together, because a lot of those conversations can end in a slightly frustrating place where it's like, oh, we just need more data on this, and which is not particularly help satisfying conclusion a lot of the time. But obviously, there now there is that data, or at least there's a framework for collecting it and, and what should be there. So that was quite nice to be able to kind of put a bit of a bow on that theme, I think, with the asset manager inclusion one. So I guess for people listening, that's probably the one to go back and listen to if you want to kind of get to the end point on that conversation. But there's some obviously great, great points across all of those that you said. Yeah, I mean, communications in the media, stories and narratives, we've already touched on a little bit, haven't we, in this conversation. But actually, on the stories one, though, there's some, a bit of nuance there because some different perspectives jump out at you, obviously, from looking at the different times we talked about that. So I guess from talking to Stacey Havener, she's saying this is how you can use stories to to help your case to better communicate with people and be more memorable. Whereas Joe Wiggins is saying, as an investor, you need to absolutely be on the lookout for stories and try and ignore them as much as possible because they might influence you in non-rational ways. And then Rob Arnott was sort of a bit in the middle. He's kind of saying, watch out for stories and narratives and ask the question, are they already embedded in prices or not? Because I think he was, obviously his point is a lot of times they are, sometimes they're not. And that's kind of the dynamic that he's interested in is kind of what current stories are embedded in prices. So yeah, I'm interesting that that array of perspectives, all, all right, obviously, right? It's, it's not one or the other. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, the almost the takeaways, it doesn't matter what part of the industry you are, stories are relevant. It's just the way you treat them is, is perhaps slightly different in, in the different groups. Cool. Okay. I think we want to get onto our top three episodes each and then come to some of the underappreciated stuff. But just quickly, I guess one last bracket or bucket of episodes we did. We had some great conversations with with trustees. We spoke to Robert Thomas, Graham Jung, and Naomi Lestrange. Those are really worth going back to, actually. Those are quite well listened to, I think, in terms of the stats and some really interesting points there on decision-making, avoiding groupthink, but some really directive points on what consultants and asset managers miss and get wrong. Obviously, I know a lot of asset managers, other consultants listen to this. I think that those, some of those are essential listening just to kind of how you're approaching trustees and how you're talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, just to round that group off, Deb Clark doesn't sit in, in yes. the sort of trustee group, but did give us some really, really clear takeaways in terms of having sat both on the consultant side and the asset manager side. What does each group get wrong and, and could do better in future? Oh, totally. And that, that was very highly commented. Lots of asset managers have commented about, about that to me. So if you're an asset manager and haven't listened to the Deb Clark one, I would definitely get onto that. She's got some really good, really good pointers. Anyway, go on then. Top three episodes. What have you got? So my top three, I have got, they're all women, actually. That wasn't intentional. So I have got, in no particular order, Rebecca Newton. That was Finding Joy at Work. I just find those topics really inspirational. You have a lot of energy at the end of it. Alison Schrager, partly because it was the second time we'd had her on and two-year gap. 
So interesting to see how in a ridiculous two years that we'd just been through, how her thinking on risk had, had changed and really enjoyed the why Americans should be more like Europeans, where she talked about numbers of fridges and both of us had more fridges than she expected Europeans to have. So listen to that one if you want to hear the full story. And then this is probably obvious, but Stacey Havener just came away with so much energy from that one and so many kind of good ideas. So so yeah, none of them are that specifically investment related. Alison, obviously risk related. But that's, I think, just back to my point earlier in terms of how these are all overriding themes. And I think they're probably the area that is underappreciated, although we'll come to what our guests said are underappreciated in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great little selection. And I'm with you on, on Stacey Havener. So that was one of mine as well. The other two that I picked out then were Michael Mobison. I've been really looking forward to that. I've listened to so much of his stuff. I was I was so pleased to talk to him and I've re-listened to that episode again and made more notes and stuff because there's so many insights on investing coming out of it. And then Ludovic Falipu as well. They're talking about internal rate of return and why that can really be manipulated and, and can be a lot of rubbish sometimes. I just thought he was very refreshingly kind of honest and just cutting through a lot of a lot of rubbish in, in the way he approached it. So that was those are my top picks. Okay then. Should we go to most underappreciated? Exactly. So so what we do here, we're going to run through just a load of responses we've had to that question because I think we both are quite fond of that question and we've got some really good answers. But let's let's rattle through some of the ones that we that we've that we've picked out and that we like best. Yeah, absolutely. So for me top two sound like they contradict each other, but perhaps don't. So firstly, lots of people have said over the episodes how difficult and complicated investing is. Even the best investors don't always get things right. In fact, they rarely get things right. Really hard to look through the noise, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also get a good handful of people saying how easy it is. And mostly they are talking more about access. So it's easier to be an investor. It's not necessarily easier to get it right. So those, I think, are, are just a really beautiful way of summing up the challenge of the industry, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I I love the dichotomy of those two things. Both true, of course, in their own ways. You could could explore that that tension for for hours. But let let's sort of just leave that one there. But another one we got, which actually chimes one of our themes, is how much impact you can have as an investor. Investors aren't simply bystanders or passengers. Decisions taken in the financial sector do influence capital in the real world. And I think it was uh, Naomi Lestrange made this point. As an investor, the things you ask managers for, simple things like what's in an agreement, the guidelines, the reports, they all will influence behavior and asset allocations. Oh, so it's a really, really good point. Yeah. And actually linked to that, I think we had another one we picked out, which is that the the industry can and should be used as a force for good. So I think they're you know, very consistent in terms of, of that, that key takeaway. Market doesn't reward comfortable decisions. I think that was a, I can't remember which journalist, which author it was that that said that, but I think it was an, an author. We tend to get more, not more, we tend to get very eloquent answers, don't we, from the authors we have on on the on the show. So if a decision is comfortable, it may well not lead to outperformance. <laughs> I thought that was a really nice way of putting it. Yeah. And then, then luck comes up in this a lot, right? So several times we get the answer, the role of luck in investment outcomes. And yeah, therefore, it's best not to put successful investors on too much of a pedestal. The success could be down to all sorts of things. It could be down to luck. Even if it's not luck, it could be down to an exploiting an anomaly that's not repeatable and those sort of things. So j- just a healthy dose of recognizing the luck there and, and maybe a bit of humility all around being quite important. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, if I was just to sum up with my final favorite one is there are only perfect answers with the benefit of hindsight. I think that might also have been an author that said that. But and it links perfectly to the luck point, doesn't it? Just you can't know you're making the right decision when you're making it. You can afterwards, of course you can. But so partly go easy on yourself, but also put frameworks around the decisions that you make to try and make sure that you've got a better chance of them being the right decision. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's probably as good a note as any to, to, to wrap <laughs> up on. There are only perfect answers with the benefit of hindsight. What a nice thought. But yeah, in the benefit of hindsight, I think it's been a good series. I've certainly really enjoyed it. So thank you to all the listeners. Thank you, Mary, for being there. It's been um, it's been great, I think, hasn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. And thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's been a blast. We are going to take a few weeks off now for the summer holidays. Look out for some reruns of, of episodes. Look out for a summary of recommendations that, that our guests have given us. Have a great few months and we'll speak again in September. So that's it from us this week and this month and this season. But we'll join you again in September. Take care for now. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.